The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Well, you can expect it. When you expose the views of an anti-Semite, they will not thank you. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Friends, there are, are three R's that we live by that fuel our fire every day of the week here in our ministry. R as in revival, revival in the church. We burn to see awakening in the church that will touch the world around us. And then revolution. Oh, no, not hatred and anger and intimidation, violence. No, no, a Jesus-based, gospel-based, moral and cultural revolution. That's what we long to see. And then the third R, redemption, redemption in Israel, the salvation of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We burn for that 24-7. And in our weekly broadcast, The Line of Fire, which airs Monday to Friday, live at this time for those just getting to know us and tuning in. Thursday, for many years, has been Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. So we focus on Jewish-related subjects. It could be opening the Hebrew Bible. It could be talking about Messianic prophecy or speaking to a Jewish person who doesn't believe in Jesus, Yeshua. And always, we take your Jewish-related calls, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Any Jewish-related question, comment, by all means, give me a call. And if you differ with the contents of my new book, Christian Antisemitism, Confronting the Lies in Today's Church, I invite you to call. I'm going to be focusing on some bizarre and wild statements of a Christian anti-Semite whom we expose in Christian anti-Semitism. But if you happen to agree with those views, then call in and explain why. 866-348-7884. So for those who don't know my own background, when I came to faith in 1971 as a heroin-shooting, LSD-using, hippie rock drummer, the fact that I was Jewish was not the biggest it, it issue in my life. And obviously, if I'd been a traditional Jew, I wouldn't have been shooting heroin at the age of 15. So my, my biggest issue was pride, having to say I was wrong, humble myself, repent, and then immediately behind that, the stronghold of drugs and sinful living in my life. And then a distant third was, well, we're Jews, we don't believe this, but I wasn't raised in a religious Jewish household. So no sooner did I come to faith than my dad said, Michael, it's great you're off drugs, but you need to talk to the local rabbi. And I met the local rabbi, began to speak with him. We, we've still been in touch almost 50 years later, actually. So we began to talk, and early on he gave me a book about anti-Semitism in the church, about Jew hatred in the church, some horrific statements that had been made through the centuries, even le leading to the shedding of Jewish blood. This even happened here in America in April 2019, when the synagogue shooter in Poway, California, identified himself as a born-again Christian, a conservative Christian, saved by grace, wanted to send as many Jews to hell as he could, one reason being they allegedly were all guilty of the murder of Jesus. So these things I read about in that book, but because the church where I came to faith was very much loving of Israel and the Jewish people, and because all the Christians that I met were like that, I didn't meet any anti-Semitic Christians. And over the decades, as I travel around the world, I found great love for Israel, great 
love for the Jewish people, prayer for the salvation of Israel and the Jewish people, because there is no salvation for Jew or Gentile outside of Jesus, outside Yeshua. I found great love for Israel as I traveled around the world and spoke. Every so often, I mean, literally, I could count them on a few fingers of one hand. I met someone who professed to be a committed Christian and was also a blatant anti-Semite. And I read some writings here and there, but to me, that was completely aberrant. In the last few years, however, I've had to confront it more than in the previous almost 50 years combined. And there is a video marching to Zion by a Baptist pastor. I think he identifies as Baptist, Stephen Anderson. And I I wouldn't even bring it to your attention, and I wouldn't have referenced it in my book, Christian Anti-Semitism, if not for the fact that it got hundreds of thousands of views online, and people will often cite it as proof of the alleged inherent evil or sinfulness of the Jews, or how the modern state of Israel is unconnected with the Bible and biblical prophecy. Because otherwise, Pastor Anderson is, is really fringe in terms of he's King James only in a fanatical way. It's one thing if you love the King James, it's another thing to be fanatically King James only. He's got some really bizarre videos out. He rejoices over the murder of homosexuals, says it's impossible for a homosexual to be saved. So completely fringe, you wouldn't bother addressing it. You just pray for, for God's work in his life and move on. Unfortunately, the video got a lot of attention, so I address it in my book. And the other day, just happened to notice someone posted a link on our YouTube channel saying, hey, this really sets the record straight. And it's a sermon from Stephen Anderson attacking my book, Christian Antisemitism. Immediately after that, we began seeing these bizarre one-star reviews popping up on Amazon from people who obviously hadn't read the book and just listened to his sermon. That's what it appears. So what I'm going to do, again, for the sake of truth and to bring everything to the light and to say, friends, this is why we do what we do. This is why we say what we say. This is why we write what we write, to expose deception, garbage, filth, misinformation, misrepresentation like this. We do it for the sake of truth. We do it to help with the salvation of the Jewish people so they are not further pushed away by things like this. We do it for the health of the body and the honor of the name of the Lord. So we're going to play a few excerpts from the sermon. I could go through line after line after line and rebut it and destroy it and demolish it based on scriptural truth and based on his misrepresentations of what I wrote in the book. But we'll just give you a sampling to say, friends, this is out there. And as much as this individual, Stephen Anderson, obviously pastors a very small congregation, his internet reach and with Marching to Zion is, is what, a hundred times, a thousand times, 10,000 times bigger than than what he'd normally be reaching with his own congregation. So for the sake of truth and for those who are confused or struggle or wonder, we're going to play a few clips, interact with them, and then show you what I actually wrote in the book. All right, uh, let's listen to the first clip. He says this, what's more, had Anderson talked with 10-year-old boys from ultra-Orthodox homes, he would have found them to be more familiar with the contents of the Torah than most of the pastors in his own ministry network. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and see if that's true. According to him, I should have gone and spoken with 10-year-old boys who are being brought up in Judaism and that they would know the Bible better specifically the first five books of Moses, they would know the Bible better than my pastor friends. 
the network of pastors that I run with. So this would be like, you know, guys like Pastor Dave Burzins or, you know, Pastor Jonathan Shelley or, you know, Pastor Aaron Thompson or, you know, I don't know, Pastor Tommy McMurtry, Bruce Mejia, you know, just, just, just that, that basically 10-year-old boys growing up in Judaism understand the Bible better than or know the Bible or are more familiar with the Word of God than my pastor friends, these 10-year-old boys know it better. Imagine the foolishness of such a statement from someone who's pretending to be a Christian, a professing Christian to praise the knowledge of 10-year-olds being raised in, a, raised in a demonic false religion, okay, that rejects the Lord Jesus Christ and said, oh yeah, I'll take their knowledge any day over, over you independent fundamental Baptist pastors. Right, so what did I actually say? What I actually said was that in his video, he interviewed different rabbis in his community that were willing to meet with him. And he tricked them. He tricked them. Yeah, he wrote in his letter, yeah, he's a Christian. He wants to ask him about this, this, this. He didn't tell them what his views are. He didn't tell them, by the way, I believe that you are leading a demonic false religion. I, I believe that, that Satan is the one who brought the Jewish people back to land. And on, you know, crazy, crazy things like that. He didn't tell him any of that. It would be basically like a Christian leader reaching out, a uh, white Christian leader reaching out to, to black pastors and saying, hey, I'm a Christian leader. I'd love to sit with you and ask, what do you understand the Bible says about racial reconciliation? Uh, how have passages been misinterpreted to, uh, to say that blacks should be slaves? Things like that. What is, what's your understanding of biblical justice? And failing to tell them that he's actually secretly the grand wizard of the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. So... The rabbis that end up meeting with him, except for one, really are very liberal. One is actually humanist, humanist. I mean, barely even believing in the existence of God and, and can't, can't accurately represent what traditional Jews say. So my point was, if he had talked to a 10-year-old ultra-Orthodox boy, someone raised in an ultra-Orthodox home, who's basically got most of the Torah memorized by the time he's a kid, that kid would be more familiar with the Torah than yeah, Stephen Anderson himself. Sure, in Hebrew, on top of it. Didn't say he'd have spiritual insight into the meaning of the passages. Didn't say that they would understand and see Jesus in the passages. Didn't say that they had an intimate relationship with God, simply that they were more familiar with the text. Of course it's true. I could guarantee you. I could guarantee you. You get a sharp kid raised in an ultra-Orthodox home that started studying Torah in Hebrew probably about the age of five, and has memorized a good amount of it. You talk to that kid, 10, 11, 12 years old, and then sit down with probably your own pastor and quiz them. Where's this verse? Where's this verse? Who said this? Who was born here? What happened there? What Can you quote this from memory, especially in Hebrew? Yeah, they, they know it really well. Now, we pray that their eyes would be open to see Messiah within those texts. Of course. We pray that the Lord would reveal himself to them in a saving way. That's what I've been doing for almost 50 years now on a regular basis, of course. But this is the type of misrepresentation. And isn't it interesting that when Paul spoke of Judaism of his day, he said that his people had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. All right? That was Paul's characterization of it. A zeal for God, but not according to knowledge as opposed to, quote, just a demonic false religion.
In any case, I'm going to play a few more clips for you. I'm going to then get into actually what I did say. But the point is not to prove that he's wrong. Of course he's wrong. That's, that's non-negotiable. All you have to do is just read the Get Christian anti-Semitism if you don't have it. And then look at the quotes from his video. Watch his whole video, right? Watch Martian Zion. Watch the whole thing. And then read where I critique it and deal with it truthfully. It's, it's not a battle. It's not a de- yeah, I, I would debate this any day of, of any week, anywhere, with a fair hearing. Of course, I'm only playing this to expose what's out there because many will say, mention this. The shocker will be on this video. You will get anti-Semites supporting these ridiculous views. All right, more to come when we come back, and then I'm going to go to your calls. Stay right here. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars. Thank you, Marty Getz, for that beautiful psalmistry. This is Michael Brown. Welcome to Thirdly Jewish Thursday on the line of fire, 866-34-TRUTH. So we are confronting and exposing anti-Semitism today in the church. And friends, if you've read Christian anti-Semitism, so we want to be honest, right? We're not looking for bogus reviews. If you've read the book and appreciated it, then please go to Amazon. Even if you didn't buy it there, go to Amazon.com and post a truthful, positive review if you enjoyed the book and were blessed by it. It's simply to counteract bogus reviews. If someone read the book, really differed with it, posted a negative critique, hey, have at it. Go for it. If it's truthful, different, go for it. Even if we have strong differences of opinion, it's free world, right? But when people post bogus reviews, misrepresenting books, often posting lies about them, we try to combat that with truthful reviews. Because people often look and just see, oh, this has X number of stars, or okay, I'm gonna look at it, or it only has this number of stars, I'm not even gonna look at it. So I'm not concerned about public opinion. I just want people to get a fair assessment. So would you do that? If you appreciated the book, write a review or post a rating at amazon.com. Okay, yeah, and typical stuff like this, Ty on Facebook, Dr. Clown, the Israelites of today are the real anti-Semitic people. A Semite is not a Jewish exclusive as it is comprised of any who speak a Semitic language, primarily the so-called Jews of today and theirs. It actually has nothing to do with the term anti-Semitism, which is Jew hatred, demonizing of the Jewish people. That's why I start off Christian anti-Semitism after going through some aspects of church history. That's why I then go through the meaning of the term anti-Semitism. Words have meanings, but that's the typical stuff you get. That's... That's someone following me on Facebook. The junk is out there. Okay, let's listen to another clip from Steven Anderson and his attempt to rebut my rebuttal of him in Christian anti-Semitism. But he says this. He even shows a pastor saying that since the devil hates Christ and the Jews are the children of the devil, then they hate him too. Now, if you would, and remember, here's what he's getting mad at me. He said that I railed on the Jews by saying that they were, that, that all of them are responsible for the death of Jesus. Okay. 
Go, if you would, to Matthew 23. Now, look at Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse number 31, it says, Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves, that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can you escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets. This is Jesus talking, by the way. And, and wise men and scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify, and some of them you shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Berechias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. You know, I'll take it a step further. The Jews didn't just kill Jesus. The Jews killed Abel. The Jews killed Zacharias. That's what Jesus said. But, I, you know, this isn't the kind of thing that gets you anywhere with Dr. Michael Brown. You know, because he's got all these Jewish friends telling him this and that, and he's one himself. But what does the Scripture say? Yeah, so what does the Scripture say? Does the Scripture say the Jews killed Abel? <clears throat> there was no such thing as a Jew in the days of Abel. Cain was not a Jew. Cain killed Abel. What Jesus is saying is that on that generation, the generation of Jewish leaders that gave Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified, that all the righteous blood through all the generations, beginning with Abel, all the judgment would fall on them. And it did. Horrific judgment on the religious hypocrites and the Jews who were involved with turning Jesus over to the Romans. Yeah, some of my ancestors involved with that. Absolutely. And, and there was terrible judgment, destruction of the temple, great suffering. Hundreds of thousands, maybe a million Jewish people killed. Terrible judgment. It happened. Where does it say that the Jews killed Abel? Only in a perverted, upside-down reading of the text. But friends... You say, yeah, but there's like a handful of people saying, Amen. I understand. My issue is not with that. My issue is with the many who get deceived by this and believe this junk and repeat it. Okay, I'm just going to skip the next clip, but it would just give you more insight into Pastor Anderson as he is thrilled when, when homosexuals die and says it's biblical and the government should be putting them to death. And he rejoices if, if there's a massacre like the Pulse Bar in Florida some years back, that, that's a, a reason to rejoice because more homosexuals die. And, and also, he's 100% sure a homosexual cannot be saved. That the only reason someone has same-sex attraction is they have completely rejected God and are given over to a depraved mind. That's his reading of Romans 1. Without reading the rest of Romans 1, that the human race has been given over to depravity because of its historic rejection of God. Of course, grace can come to all through the gospel. So aside from that perverted view, that a homosexual cannot be saved. So all of you who are ex-gays, no, 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 you can't be saved, according to Stephen Anderson. Let's, let's go to clip number four. And, I, and here I'll just give you a perfect illustration of the way things are taken out of context to inflame an audience. Now, please hear me. I could care less about insults about me. They, they come all the time. Death wishes and stuff, whatever. That comes with the turf. I'm going to stand for righteousness, speak the truth, and whatever. That's not the issue. And I'm not looking to be liked. You, you don't write books like Christian anti-Semitism and name names when you're trying to be liked, okay? You're going to get these people hating you and flocking to your pages and websites and mocking you and posting vile things. 
you'd be shocked at the stuff we have to pull coming from professing Christians. I'm doing this for the sake of those that get led astray by this nonsense to show how deceptive it really is. So listen to, to this quote, and you think, wow, this is, man, Brown really misrepresents things. And then we'll show you what I actually wrote. Okay, let's, let's listen. And folks, this takes the cake. And I guess Paul was equally wrong when he described himself as of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. I guess Paul was wrong when he said that. Yes, Paul was wrong, and he said in the next verse that he was wrong. He literally says, hey, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm a Benjamin. I'm a Pharisee. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge. And he says, hey, I count it but dung. So literally, this guy is such a bozo, he quotes Philippians 3, 5. Well, I guess Paul was wrong when he said, I'm a Benjamite of Israel. He said in the next verse, it's dung. Does everybody know what dung means? Here's what he basically said. He said, hey, yeah, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Yeah, I'm of Israel. Yeah, I'm a Pharisee. It's a bunch of crap. All right, so what was the actual context there? And again, I, when I listen to these things, I, I, I pity Stephen Anderson. I pity those listening. I pity that level of deception. May God bring them into the fullness of his truth. If they're saved, may he bring them into the fullness of his truth in other areas. If they are caught up in, in religious tradition, may they come to really know the Lord personally. But on his video, Marching to Zion, which I was rebutting, he claims, he claims that Jews have no way of proving they're really descendants of Israel. And this is the way it's been for millennia. So here's what I wrote in my book. In another head shaking, I don't believe he's saying this moment in the video, Anderson says the only way a Jew could know he was really Jewish was by use of genealogical records. Yet Anderson notes Titus 3.9 tells us to avoid genealogies. All right, so he's saying you can only know you're a Jew by genealogical records, but Titus 3 says avoid genealogies, so that way you can't really know you're a Jew. I'm like, no, he didn't say it. Well, he did say it. So I said, I guess the author of Ezra in the Old Testament was really off base when he described Ezra as the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Kakaiah, son of Shalom, son of Sadok, son of Achitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Moriot, son of Zechariah, uh, yeah, Zerachiah, son of Uzi, son of Buzi, son of Abishua, son of Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. And I guess Paul was equally wrong when he described himself as of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. <clears throat> That was my point. That was my point. The fact that he didn't glory in these things, the fact he didn't glory in them, yeah, we agree. He didn't glory in that. He only gloried in Jesus. But of course he used genealogy. Of course. So again, a 1,000% misrepresentation of the point I was making. Complete, entire, total. But that's what you're getting, friends. Dig deeper, please. Dig deeper. If you don't have the book, Get the book and read what I actually said. All right, do I have time for this? Yeah. Uh, here's his, his closing prayer. Let's just listen. In that film. It's not about hating Jews, my friend. I don't hate Jews. I hate queers, but I don't hate Jews. <laughs> All right? I love them and want them to be saved, just like I love other, I love Muslims. I want Muslims to be saved. Amen? Amen. But am I going to bless the religion of Islam? It's wicked. All right, let's bow our heads and word of prayer. Father, thank you so much, Lord for um, saving us, Lord. But not only have you saved us, Lord, you've actually made us your elect, your chosen people, Lord. Thank you that we're not second-class citizens 
playing second fiddle to the Michael Browns of this world who brag of being a messianic Jew. All right, so what did I actually write about that? Let's just pull up the relevant pages from Christian anti-Semitism. Look at what I actually wrote in terms of this question. Or are we superior because we are Jewish believers in Jesus? Or are we better? Are we now elite? Actually, as we'll see, I, I wrote the exact opposite. I wrote that we're one in Jesus and we're equal in Jesus. So you hear the spirit of the man. You hear where things are going. Unfortunately, influences people. That's heartbreaking because he's influencing them into error and believing lies about the Jewish people. So I'll keep going about seeking to lead my fellow Jews to Jesus as I've done the last 50 years. And I'll pray that God will bring Stephen Anderson into the fullness of his grace and truth. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Oh, yes. Shouts of joy. My dear friend Paul Wilber singing and leading the way before the Lord. 866-34-TRUTH. It's thoroughly Jewish Thursday, we'll be getting to Jewish-related calls momentarily. When I wrote Christian Anti-Semitism, I said at the beginning of the book, it's a book I wish I didn't have to write. I wish we could have just left our hands are stained with blood, the tragic story of the church and the Jewish people. We go through church history. We expose this through church history. We deal with some contemporary issues. We give a right theology to replace the wrong theology and leave it there. But no, with this modern flood of Christian anti-Semitism, of demonizing the Jewish people, of cultivating hatred for the Jewish people, spreading misinformation about the Jewish people. I had to write a whole additional book, so it's a compliment to, but standalone from, our hands are stained with blood. If you have the one, you'll want the other. If this stuff was not out there, I wouldn't be addressing it. If it was not out there in a prevalent way, I wouldn't be addressing it. For example, when I put out a video exposing the anti-Semitism of Rick Wiles and True News, before they were removed from YouTube. And I don't, I don't believe they should have been. I wish they could have stayed on YouTube when we exposed the errors. But you start censoring one, you're censoring another. Next thing, everybody's gone. And their freedom of speech is gone. In any case, I found some of the things that were stated deplorable and even dangerous, ugly, misleading, destructive. And my attempts to reach out privately or have a dialogue publicly were all stopped. No to all of them. In any case, when I put out a video exposing his errors, instead of our normal videos, which get like 95, 96% thumbs up, just because most of the people watching them are folks who like our ministry and agree with us, instead those would have more thumbs down than thumbs up. Again, human opinion is meaningless to me, except to say there's a lot of poison out there, a lot of deception out there. So if you were with us right before we started at the bottom of the hour here, if you were with us, you heard me play a clip from Pastor Anderson, the end of his message where he seeks to rebut what, wrote, what I wrote in my book, but of course, bypasses everything where I do demolish his lies, misinformation, misrepresentation, and then misrepresent what I do say to his congregation. So he, he calls me a bozo at the end, the Lord, may the Lord forgive him, and I'm, trust me, I get called a lot worse than that every day, so that's fine. But 
then accuses me of saying, you know, I'm somehow superior because I'm a Jewish believer in Jesus. Well, let me quote what I wrote in Christian anti-Semitism in the very book that he's attacking. Here, my exact words. Are you ready? In Yeshua, we are all one. Speaking of Jew and Gentile, we are equals in the Lord, equally loved by God, equally filled by the Spirit, equally called and chosen. That's what Paul meant in Galatians 3.28 when he wrote, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He meant that there was no class system, no caste system, no higher and lower in Jesus. We are spiritual equals, joint heirs of the Messiah, equally loved by God, equally children of God. But men are still men, women are still women, which is why Paul gave distinct teachings to men and women as well as to husbands and wives in his letters. The distinctions remain. That's why to this day, churches have men's meetings and women's meetings, not to mention men's bathrooms and women's bathrooms. The same way there were still slaves and free people, and there's still Jews and Gentiles. That's the point. I'm a Jewish believer in Jesus. Someone else is a Gentile believer in Jesus. Someone's a white believer in Jesus. Someone's a black believer in Jesus. Someone's male believer in Jesus, female. But we're all one in Jesus, equal. That's what I wrote. So to all those that follow Pastor Anderson, read what I actually wrote in the book. Then sort it out. Then sort it out for yourself, all right? And again, to those who read the book and found it helpful, please post a helpful review on Amazon simply to counteract the false one-star bogus reviews, even accusing me of race baiting. What the world are you talking about? Uh, After uh, watching Pastor Anderson's video, these reviews suddenly started popping up. So we want to get truth out. That's the goal. Get the truth out and let the truth counteract the lies. All right, with that... We're going to go to the phones, and let's start in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Chuck, thanks for holding. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, man, thank you for taking my call. I had a quick question um, Yeah. in regards to Proverbs 22 and 6, training up a child. Um, what was the Jewish understanding at the time of this, right? And, and then how could we apply that today? Because I know a lot of people look at that as a promise. You know, you train your child up, but then something happens and the child ends up going wayward. You're like, well, didn't the Bible say turn them up? So just wanted to get your uh, viewpoint on that. Yes, sir. So first, let me just comment on the verse itself, that Proverbs is is giving us statements of wisdom. And they are general statements. For example, if I said uh, smoking kills or drinking is unhealthy, and then you look at Uh, 5 million people who've smoked all their lives and 5 million people who've been heavy drinkers all their lives compared to those who didn't smoke and didn't drink, you'd see, wow, that statement is 100% true, broadly speaking. But then you'll find somebody, though, that smokes their whole life and lives to be 90, right? So in other words, Mm -hmm. Proverbs is giving us principles of living, and it's giving us general statements of truth, which if you live by these, you will see these results. It's not saying there can never be an exception to the rule, but saying this is the rule. So that's, that's how you have to read Proverbs. That's why you also have Ecclesiastes and Job to say, it doesn't always seem to go like that. You know, sometimes it seems to go differently. And then the wisdom is, well, hang on till the end because you'll see God's ways are true. So that's the first thing. Secondly, the, the Hebrew could even be indicating, not that you'll never stray, but if you've been raised rightly, even in the end, you'll come back. There can be that word of assurance. So not you could read it saying you'll never stray, but you could also read it in the way I've I've read it over the years, is to say that that if you if you pour into your kids rightly and raise them rightly in the right setting and environment, that 
even when they're old, they, they won't stray. So maybe they've strayed some, but they'll, they'll come back to the path. Either way, how did, how did Jewish people understand this traditionally? Judaism puts a tremendous emphasis on passages like Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And it goes on, these words which I teach you today, so, so be on your heart, you'll, you'll speak them. It's a kind of day and night cycle. And you are to impress them on your children. You are to, to drill this into them. So traditional Judaism, which was, was in its nascent beginning form in the days of Jesus, developed you know, over the centuries that followed. But even then there was a strong emphasis on training people in the Word of God. There would not have been the emphasis that we'd find in our Christian circles in terms of having a personal encounter with God, as much as following the traditions of the people and being people of Scripture. So to this day, if you're in traditional Jewish settings, uh, little boys start studying Scripture as soon as they're able to start reading Hebrew, and the father will first be teaching his child or children and then they'll be learning in school, and then they'll be talking about this over meals and things like this. So there is a total saturation in, in Bible and Jewish tradition, and you're raised with that to the point that, you know, by the time you're 18 years old, in terms of a massive amount of material you've learned and memorized, it would be more than information than people, some people with PhDs. You know, it's just tremendous immersion and obviously there's good and bad. There's the, the immersion in scripture, which is wonderful. The immersion in rabbinic tradition, I would say, is, is a real mixture and often is going to lead away from the truth of scripture. But tremendous emphasis on education, beginning at the earliest ages, especially for males, and beginning first and foremost, they'd start learning the five books of Moses in Hebrew. And that's, the, that's why you see so many traditional Jews remaining traditional all their lives, the vast, 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 vast majority, because they've been so immersed from childhood up. So thank you for the question, Chuck. I appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. 866-34-TRUTH. We go to Toronto, Canada. Stanley, welcome to the line of fire. Uh, good day. Um, I think uh, one of the reasons why uh, there's so much confusion uh, and so much hatred against Jews is a con- it's because uh, most Gentiles do not understand that they're part of the same covenant, uh, as Paul says, uh, being part of the Commonwealth of Israel, since there is no covenant with Gentiles, as per Jer- Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-one, uh, which is the, in the, concerning my question. It's, it relates to um, the judgment of uh, James in Acts fifteen sixteen, where it says the rebuilding of the tabernacle of David, which he said it came from a prior prophet. And if you relate it or link it to uh, Isaiah fifty-eight twelve and 13, it says the rebuilding of the tabernacle of David, which but relates he, he's, to the Gentiles. He's, he's, quote, he's quoting from Amos, he's quoting from Amos, Amos 9. Amos 9, 10, yes. Yeah, yeah so Amos that's what 9, he's... 10. Right, and what's the context there? That the Gentiles, not becoming yeah. Jews, not becoming Israelites, but the Gentiles will also be regathered to seek the God of Israel. I, I totally agree, I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, Amos 9.10, if you relate it to Isaiah 58.12, the same four words, Hebrew words, are being used. Uh, and I could quote it if you want. Uh, and those from among you, sh- you shall build. Banah, same word used in Amos 9.10, mm-hmm. from old, olam, waste places. You shall rise up from the Hebrew kum, kum, 
I'm not a Jew, but same word used in the uh, You're doing good. You're doing good. Thank you. Uh, the foundation of many generations, and you, should, you shall be called the repairer, the Gadar, Gadar, same word used in Amos 9.10, mm-hmm. uh, of the breach from the Hebrew Peretz, same word used in uh, uh, Amos 9.10, the restorer of paths to dwell in. And if you go to verse 13, it relates it at the direct link for this uh, for fulfillment of prophecy is the Sabbath. So my question to you is, um, how would you reconcile that, uh, the, the fact that the Sabbath is, is the direct link yeah. for the tabernacle of David to be rebuilt as it relates to the Gentiles? Yeah, so, so first thing, I, I love the way you went at it, looking at the Hebrew, comparing. But the link is not the Sabbath. The link is Amos 9. Okay, and Amos 9 was understood as an end-time passage, and Peter says it's even happening now. Isaiah 58 has parallel language because of parallel restoration that takes place, but the overall subject matter is different. All right, so what you're doing is, is finding parallel language, which you can find in many different places, and then saying, oh, it must be because of Isaiah 58 and Sabbath. No, Jacob, James, in Acts 15, had a perfect opportunity, a perfect opportunity to say now, and the other apostles, Gentiles have to keep the seventh-day Sabbath. He didn't. Why? Well, because that was given specifically for Israel and a way to keep them separate from the nations as well. But Jesus tells us, come to me and you will find rest in Matthew 11. And Colossians 2 says that the substance of the Sabbath is found in the Messiah. So now that the Messiah had come, this eschatological rest, this ultimate Sabbath rest, we find in him. That's what Hebrews tells us as well. So you are free to keep the seventh-day Sabbath, but not required to. We found Sabbath rest in the Messiah. Hey, thank you. I love the call. Appreciate it. It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday on the Line of Fire. All right, less than 30 minutes from now, those that are unable to get through on the phone lines or it's just easier to do this uh, via computer, a little less than 30 minutes from now, so 4.15 Eastern Time will be our annual exclusive YouTube chat, our Q&A YouTube chat. So if we don't get you today on the phones, I'm going to go back to the phone shortly, then by all means... But either way, join us. It's very enlightening. We answer tons of questions from all sides. So that is at 4.15 Eastern Time on the YouTube channel, Ask Dr. Brown, ASKDR Brown. If you don't subscribe, make sure first thing, subscribe, and then click on the bell so you'll be notified of our videos. All right. Yeah, I, I would normally pay no attention to someone with crazy far-out positions on the Internet. They're all over the place. Unless they get a substantial following and then people believe the misinformation, then for the sake of those who are deceived, misled, we want to help address things. That's why I deal with the objections of, of Stephen Anderson's Marching to Zion. And if you haven't, watch the video and then read the critique in Christian anti-Semitism and come to your own conclusions. But here, um, Chris, let's pull up some of those one-star reviews. I, I just spot it these reviews coming in, there's, there's a service I have with, with Amazon. They'll just say, hey, new reviews. And so I noticed some of these. One was, okay, 
February, so this is before this sermon, childish and snarky, one star. I was expecting some kind of scholarly work on this topic and got what amounts to a 150-page hit piece on people protesting. Like, so read the book, read the documentation, check out the scores and scores and scores of endnotes and references. And Anyway, check that out for yourself. But, but it ends by, by saying, I wonder if maybe, just maybe, he's wrong. In other words, anti-Semitism is true. Jews should be hated and demonized. But then look at these reviews, quote reviews, that that came in March 7th and 8th, immediately after Anderson's video was posted. One star, page after page of specious and unbiblical arguments. Many of his arguments are directly in opposition of the Bible, even the Torah portion of the Bible. He even tries some race baiting, which everyone seems to try nowadays when they're grasping his throat. That's, that's a bogus lie. Of course there's no race bait. I've never race baited in my life, let alone the book on Christian anti-Semitism. Bogus lie. But it gets posted. People can do that, all right? And then other readers like, oh, maybe you should look at here. Let's just look at one more of the reviews that was posted. Uh, March 8th, uh, his book lacks proof, just playground name-calling. And, and then it's false doctrines, the heading. Again, it's a lie. It is a simple lie. Number one, there's no playground name-calling in the book. And I don't engage in that anyway. And number two, the book is documented thoroughly, scripture, academic studies, current studies, online that are reliable, as I do with all my books. In any case, no, I don't mind getting insulted. It's not, we don't care about what people say. I don't care about what people say. I want to help others who are getting misled by misinformation. And yeah, on an ethical level, when you study, you work hard, you pray over things, you really put your information together accurately, you work with editors who challenge every word, is this documented, is this accurate? And then you come to the end of that, and then people can just post lying reviews. Yeah, that's for ethics. That's a concern. It should be called out when we can. Um, yeah, Joel, I don't think people should bring up the Sabbath to Mr. Brown. He's obviously against it. The Sabbath is not just for Jews. It's for everyone who was created before sin. The seventh day is the Sabbath. It's the end of creation week. It's no longer valid. And there's no seventh day or Saturday as we know. I, actually, Joel, I love the word. I love the Sabbath. And, and by the way, Sabbath, Saturday is, is the Sabbath that I keep, okay? If I'm out ministering, preaching, then I'm doing holy work on it. But just personally, so you know that. But anyone has a question about the Sabbath, we have answered it endlessly on the air. Because of that, if I know a caller's calling in about that, we refer them to my videos on it. So just go to askdrbrown.org and search for Sabbath, all right? And you'll see discussions I've had with others, but it, it comes up so often that it's just redundant for our listeners. And then read what I've written and answering Jewish objections to Jesus, where I get into these things, volume four, volume five, and you'll get adequate information. I'm a Sabbath lover, and I love the word. And God never required, commanded Gentile believers in Jesus to observe the seventh-day Sabbath. That's simple. And no one who's ever called the show has ever come within an inch of proving that from the New Testament, with all respect, with all respect. And if you feel, hey, and by the way, the New Testament does not mandate Sunday Sabbath just for the record. And if I was going to make a case for Sabbath, I'd make it for seventh day, not for Sunday, by the way. All right, let's go over to Orlando in High Point, North Carolina. Welcome to the line of fire. Good afternoon, Dr. Brown. Hey. Yeah, my, my, question, my question deals with replacement theology. Yes, sir. Because uh, the place where I go to worship, they have switched to a uh, replacement theology belief. 
And I feel I feel very uncomfortable because I think it's this is being anti-Semitic. Am I right or am I wrong? Could you explain exactly what uh, replacement theology is, and and and, and is it a, is it okay to go to a uh, Christian church that they teaches? Replacing theology. Yeah, Orlando. Yeah. Do you have my book? Our hands are stained with blood. No, I don't. Okay, listen. Uh, what I want you to do is is listen on the radio right now. I know you're going to hang up and listen. Just uh, but but listen yeah. right now on the phone. Stay here. Stay right here. As soon as I'm done, Rachel is going to get your info, and I want to send you the book as a gift. After you read it, give it to your pastor if he's open. Okay. Number one. Replacement theology says that the promises that God gave to Israel, physical Israel in the Old Testament, no longer apply to Israel on a national level, but apply to the church. The church has replaced Israel in God's larger plan of salvation. Some use different terms. They don't call it replacement theology. They say it's fulfillment theology. The promises are fulfilled in Jesus. So whoever is in Jesus is now the new Israel. That would be another version of it. The same results come, though, that, for example, when God said, to the Jewish people in the Old Testament, I will scatter you in my anger and regather you in my mercy. That scatter you in my anger, that refers to physical Israel, regather you in my mercy, that refers to the church. All the promises that God gave about blessing the world through Israel, that will never happen on a corporate level. Instead, individual Jews can be saved, but there are no promises that remain for the nation as a whole. That's replacement theology. In our hands are stained with blood, I go through the history of that and show how it led to the bloodshed of Jewish people, to hatred of Jewish people. Now, there are people, my brother, who hold to replacement theology today who are not anti-Semites. They, they, are, they are not Jew haters. They do not demonize the Jewish people, but they have a wrong theology, and that wrong theology often opens the door to <clears throat> anti-Semitism. If this was a major theme in your church and came in in a lot of the teaching and preaching, I, I couldn't be part of that at all. If it was something more subtle and it was a healthy, strong church in other ways and you say, all right, maybe they just have a blind spot there, that would be another issue. So stay right there, Carlos, uh, excuse me, Orlando, and uh, Rachel is going to get your info and I want to send you a free copy of Our Hands Are Stained with blood. It's the new edition, second edition that came out in 2019. All right, you can go for it. Rachel, thanks. And Carlos in New York City, thanks for holding. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, what's up, Dr. Brown? Great hey, man. In the name of our Lord. Hey, the Lord's good. What's up? Amen. Uh, well, I just wanted to ask a quick question about uh, how I've heard from you and a couple other people that. Um, the Jews in, uh, in early tradition in the Old Testament had no real concept of a resurrecting Messiah. But I was reading uh, Psalm 16, and at the end, in verse, in verse 10, uh, verse, around verse 9 to 11, in verse 10 it says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. Uh, I was just wondering if, I mean, I know David really isn't really talking about himself. Because right. I, I would think that, you know, he knows that when he dies, he will decay and that he will, he will be in the grave, but, uh, you know, not go to, like, the actual pit. But uh, I was wondering, what is, according to the Hebrew, the, the, 
the the um, the biblical Hebrew. What does that verse say? What does it speak of? Is right. it speaking so, of like actual decay? Yeah, like the, dying decay or Yeah, the, the the impression that you would get if if you're just reading that and think David's talking about himself, that somehow he'd be saying, I'm gonna be spared from death, either premature death, but ultimately I'm I'm not my body's not gonna you know, be corrupted become moldy and De- decompose in the grave. Based on that, there are rabbinic traditions that say that there are seven people whose bodies never decayed, David being one of them. Well, obviously, that's not the case. That's not the case. So Peter understands this in Acts 2, that David, seeing in the Spirit, foresees the resurrection of the Messiah. It's as if he's looking at his own life and sees himself through his posterity, literally rescued from death and raised from the dead. So it's subtle, but it is ultimately David seeing something beyond himself, which Peter says, hey, that's a prophecy about the Messiah. So that's the right way to read it. It really would speak of being abandoned to Sheol, the place of the dead, and your body seeing decay. Hey, Roger, to get an answer to your question about the Dead Sea Scrolls and Goliath, go to netbible.org, netbible.org, netbible.org. Plug in 1 Samuel 17 and look for the relevant note on that verse for the height of Goliath. All right, friends, 15 minutes from now, join me. Ask Dr. Brown, ASK Dr. Brown, on YouTube. We're going to continue with exclusive Q&A right there. Another program powered by the Truth Network.